I said, good morning and happy Resurrection Sunday. Is is you know we I don't know about anybody else, but I had a good time this morning. We had some donuts and coffee and juice, and different drinks back there, and we had an Easter egg hunt for the kids, and uh, a lot of pictures were taken. I don't know I don't know how many of you guys got, but I was out there. But the kids were going around so fast, I mainly got pictures of the backs of their heads most of the time. But you know, as as good a time as that was, that's not the reason that we came here today. We didn't come for food. We didn't come for Easter eggs. The reason that we came today was to celebrate the risen Lord. And that's what we're about, not only on Easter Sunday, but really every Sunday. That's the reason that we celebrate on on Sunday instead of Saturday or any other day. It's in honor of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, just as he said that he was going to do. Now, if you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to open up with me to the New Testament book of Matthew. We're going to be Matthew 28. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. And chapter 28 is the last chapter. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Matthew 28 and verse 1. Every year when Resurrection Sunday rolls around, or Easter Sunday, whatever you like to call it, uh, preachers, myself included, are really faced with a choice. Because we preach the same texts every year. So then it's like, well, how, how do we approach this? Should we approach it from kind of an angle that maybe we've not... Uh, not looked at it before, or should we dig deep into theology, or should we do like uh, one preacher, so-called, that I know of that said the resurrection didn't happen, it was simply a metaphor? Uh, what, how should we handle this familiar account? And as I considered that this week, I decided to run counter to those ideas, and I just want to share the old, old story of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It's not fancy, and it's not fanciful, but it's the truth. And it's a glorious truth. And, and so where we pick up, Jesus has been crucified on a Roman cross. That happened on, on a Friday. And so he was, uh, he, so a couple of his disciples, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they went, they got the body of Christ from Pilate, and they laid it in Joseph's tomb. Now Joseph had just had this, this grave carved out, carved out of the hillside, and so nobody had ever lain in it before. So they put the body of Christ in, in it. It was nearby. And, uh, and to secure things, see, the, the Jewish leaders, they thought something was going to happen on the third day. Jesus' own followers didn't really think anything was going to happen. But these Jewish leaders, they thought that something might be up. So they went to the Romans and they said, let's put a guard out by the tomb to secure to make sure no, no uh, trickery happens. And so they post a, a guard to keep the tomb secure. So that happened on Friday. And where we pick up in our text today is early Sunday morning. And if you don't get anything else out of the sermon, if you just tune me out, tune me out after this one sentence. Don't tune me out at all, but if you do, do it after this. Jesus is not in the grave because he has risen, just like he said. That's the point of this sermon. Jesus is not in the grave because he has risen, just like he said. It's, it's the message the angel proclaimed. It's the message that I'm going to proclaim. Jesus is alive. In fact, you know, this, and this is just one of those little trivia things, I guess. The early Christians, when, it, when they would greet each other, one of them would say, He is risen. And you know what they would say in response? He is risen indeed. And that's, that's a great thing. If, if anybody comes up to you today and says, He is risen, you say, He is risen indeed. Okay? Because it's, it's a glorious truth. Anyway, uh, stand with me if you would, and, and let's read Matthew 28. And we're going to read the first, uh, first few verses. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards took for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell the, his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And this should come to the governor's ears. We will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, as you, you consider the claims of Christ and the claims of the Bible today, I would encourage you to reason out the resurrection for yourself. Reason it out for yourself. Now, I've heard people, people say this. I've, I've read comments. I've read books. I've read articles. And I've seen people express this idea or this sentiment. What makes Christianity different from other religions? And usually the people that say this are saying this in response to Christians saying, Jesus is the only way. And so they'll look at Christianity and they'll say, well, Christianity says, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't do all these things. And, you know, a lot of these other religions teach the same things. And it's true that every religion has its own moral code of conduct. These things are right, these things are wrong. But Christianity is different and unique because every other religion in the world is based on the teachings of a fallible man. But Christianity is different because Christianity is based on the life, teachings, death and resurrection of God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. He claimed to be God, and then he backed that claim up with miracles, and by the big, biggest miracle, miracle of all, his resurrection from the dead. Every other leader you go to is dead. Jesus alone is alive. He's alive forevermore. But how do we know that? I mean, even Christians, if we're honest, we have to admit it's a pretty extraordinary claim to say, this person rose from the dead. How do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, if you watch TV, you'll see there's a lot of doubt about the resurrection. If you read a bunch of articles on the Internet or, or books or whatever it is, there are a lot of people who come out against the resurrection. So I just want us to reason through this together. And I want to tell you that I believe the, the resurrection is the most reasonable uh, explanation for the empty tomb. Now, the first thing we need to realize is the tomb was indeed empty. How do we know? Well, look at, look at what happened. The angel of the Lord descended and, and rolled away the stone, and, and look at what it says in verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Now, this is a key verse, because Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away to get out. 
Remember, his disciples were, were meeting together one time, and he just showed up. He could just go through material uh, objects after the resurrection. He didn't need the stone to get out. He didn't need it moved. It, it needed to be moved so we could get in and see that it was empty. And so it was empty, and that alone should cause a thinking person to pause. Lately, I've been getting into... I'm not a photographer. I just like to... I'm, a, I'm an image maker. I like to just go out and take pictures of weird things. And one of the things that's always interested me are old cemeteries. And I really like, and it, it sounds morbid, I know, but it, it's, it's interesting to go and just to see those headstones and see what's written on them and, and to think, what was that person's like, life like while they were alive? And you just think about all the history that's represented in one of those uh, cemeteries. But if you go to any cemetery, if you go to your great-great-grandpappy's uh, grave, guess what? He's still there. He's still right where they put him. If you go to any other leader, if you go to any person's grave, that person is right where they left him. But you know what? That's not the case with Jesus. His body is not there. And that should cause us to say, huh, I wonder why that is. Why is his body not there? Well... It's incredible to me that 2,000 years later, there are people that say Jesus actually still is in the tomb, but people in antiquity didn't do that. Just think, if Jesus really was in the tomb, how easy would it have been for these enemies of Christ to come along and say, Oh, apostles, you're dying. You're being martyred. You're being scourged. You're being beat up for saying that Jesus is alive. We can prove you wrong. We can prove that you're a fake and just drag out the body. They couldn't do it because his body was no longer there because he had resurrected. So what happened to the body? Well, what, what is the explanation given in verses 11 to 15? And you'll, you'll actually hear this, this reason given today. The disciples must have stolen it. Oh, well, that makes sense. Well, let's process that a little bit. The guards are going around saying, We were asleep, the disciples came and stole the body. Let's pretend there's a guard with us today, and we'll just interview him and see what he has to say. Okay, sir, tell us what happened. Well, Friday, me and some of the guys were at the barracks, and, and they came and said, you, a bunch of you guys need to go and guard this tomb. Guard a tomb? That doesn't... He's dead. He's not going to... Why would you guard a tomb? We just need to guard and make sure nothing happens. Keep it secure. All right, that sounds like a pretty easy gig. So we go out and we set up and uh, we're there for a while and uh, we get really tired and we go to sleep and while we're sleeping, his followers take his body. The end. That's it. Hmm. That sounds pretty straightforward. But a couple of, a couple of things you said kind of, kind of raise a question in my mind. You mind if I ask you some questions? Well, it's getting late. I really need to go. It'll, it'll just take a second. You're part of the Roman military, right? That's right. In the military, in the Roman military, if you're a guard and you fall asleep on, the, on duty, you're put to death. You mean to tell me that you guys were so tired, all of you went to sleep even though you knew you were going to die if you did so? That's right. Yeah, we were really tired. Even though it'd leave... Your children fatherless and your, your wife husbandless? All of you went to sleep. You didn't even say, you know what, let's, let's, let's post a watch and the rest of us will sleep. We'll just take shifts. You didn't do that? 
I mean, we were really tired. Oh. But but you're still alive. Yeah, like I say, this really late. I need to go. Um, but so so you guys are really tired. I get that. Okay, you're asleep. And you guys didn't wake up when all the disciples were walking around among you? No, man, like I said, we were really sleepy. That's weird because I have a little almost four-year-old daughter, and sometimes I'll be in bed asleep, and she'll creep into our room quiet as a mouse, but I still wake up most of the time. And even though you're trained military men, you didn't hear them amongst you? No. And you didn't hear them when they all went to the stone and they were grunting and pushing, trying to get that stone rolled away. And you didn't hear it when that rock was scraping against the rock face of, of that hill. You didn't hear any of that and wake you up. No, man, like I said, we were really tired. Hmm. Well, we know from, from people who went to the tomb that, that when they went in, all the linen wrappings of Christ were laying right where they had been whenever he was wrapped up in the tomb. You mean to tell me that even though you didn't wake up and all these people were around you, all these people pushed the stone away, you didn't wake up the whole time that they unwrapped the body, moved the body, and put all the linen wrappings back just like they were whenever he was there and then carried his body off? You didn't wake up in, during any of that time? Like I said, we were really tired that day. Man. So you were dead to the world, right? That's right. Not conscious of anything, it sounds like. Nothing. Then let me ask you one last question. How do you know it was the disciples? If you're asleep and you're not conscious of anything, how do you know who it was that came and took the body? I mean, this, this lie that they come, came up with is so weak on so many fronts, it's laughable. But that's just the beginning. People say, oh, these, these ladies, they didn't know which tomb it was. Keep your place in Matthew 28. Just look back over in chapter 27. You may not even have to turn the page. And look at verses uh, 60 and 61. It's talking about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And they laid, uh, laid it, the body of Christ, in his own, that's Joseph of Arimathea's new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. Verse 61 is the key. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. They were there when they were putting the body in. You mean to tell me from Friday evening to Sunday morning, they forgot where their Savior was buried? I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. What about this idea? This is a very common one today. It wasn't a, a bodily resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection. There are whole religions that teach this. That Jesus' body didn't come out of the grave. It was just His Spirit that came out of the grave. What happened to His body? His body's still not there, right? And another problem with that, a resurrection, the definition of a resurrection is something that was dead has now come back to life. And if his body was what was dead and his body did not come back to life, a resurrection did not happen. For it to even fit the definition of a resurrection, it had to have been a bodily resurrection. The most reasonable way, and we could keep going on all these theories, but the most reasonable way to understand this, the most reasonable explanation of the empty tomb, is that Jesus rose from the dead just like he said he was going to do. It's as simple as that. So we, we, we reason out the resurrection. And I want you now to receive the announcement of the resurrection. 
And this is, this is very simple. The angel announced it. What did he say? In verse, uh, verse 4, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. The announcement is, Jesus is alive. The crucified one is not here. He's not the tomb. He's not dead. He is alive. He's risen. And that's fantastic news. And I wonder, what is, what is our response to the resurrection? Do you receive that announcement? Do you welcome it? Because a lot of people, they'll say, well, now I can't go along with all this resurrection business, you know. I can go along with Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. All these different things. But I just can't go along with He was God and He rose from the dead. That's just too much. Why do you, why do you have that problem? One reason, you may say, well, I've been in churches before, Pastor. When I was a kid, I had a drug problem. I got drugged to church every time my parents went, and I just hated it. And you know, there were some jerks at church. There was a jerk behind the pulpit. And I just can't, I just can't tolerate all that Christianity business. I just rejected it out of hand because I had a bad experience with Christians. Well, guess what? I've been in church a long time on both sides of the pulpit. And I've had some bad experiences with Christians too. You know what? Whether you've had a, a, a jerk in the pulpit, a jerk in the pew, that has no bearing on the truthfulness of an event of history, of whether or not it happened. So somebody could have been mean to you. Preacher didn't shake my hand. whoop de doo Is Jesus alive? That's the question. Isn't that the question? I mean, it's, it's simple. You'd say, well, you know, they were just rotten at my church. Guess what? If Jesus came out of the tomb, they may have been rotten. That's not good. But that doesn't affect whether or not Christianity is true or not. You say, well, no, I just can't believe all this stuff. It's, that's an awful extraordinary claim. It may be, but you know what? The evidence is there. The proof is there. The issue really is not whether or not there's evidence or proof. It's an historical fact that's backed up by, by people who were there who saw it and recorded it. See, the real issue is not one of evidence or reason. The real issue is unbelief. The real issue is a moral issue, not a reason issue. I just want you to consider your own life. How do you respond to the resurrection? Hopefully, I think probably most everybody here is like, Woohoo! Jesus is alive. We're, we're happy. We're thrilled. We're excited because Jesus, our Savior, is alive. But maybe you're like, No, I just, I just, I just can't really go along with that. Turn away from that. Put your faith in Christ. Paul says, If you'll confess Jesus is Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Believe that in your heart. Turn from your sin and be saved. But here's, and I don't mean this as a, anything less than, than respectful. We have to ask, so what? Whenever we read any passage of Scripture, we have to say, so what? Not so what is like, so what? But it's so what, how does this affect my life? What response should I have? Well, if you look in the text that we read, there are three three responses to the resurrection, I think, that should typify our response. The first one is in verses 5 and 10. You'll notice the same wording. The angel said to the woman, verse 5, Do not be afraid. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, what? Do not be afraid. You hear that common theme? Don't be afraid. The first response is courage. It's like Jesus saying, I know you've been heartbroken. 
I know that you've been fearful. You don't know what's going to happen. All your hopes have been placed, placed here and, and then things didn't turn out like you thought. You're in the throes of, of despair. You don't know what's going to happen next. Don't be afraid. And that's the same message for today. We've got a co-worker. We've got a friend. We've got a family member who's pretty critical of Christianity, who's critical of, of, of our faith. I believe Jesus is telling us, don't be afraid to stand up for it. Don't be afraid to tell them the truth, the facts, because we think, oh, these intelligent people on TV, they have all these letters after their name. They say the resurrection can have happened, that Christianity is a shame. Who am I to argue? I'll tell you who you are to argue. If you're a child of God, that's who you are to argue. Has He changed your heart? Has He changed your life? Yes. Well, then, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of them. As you face problems that are too big for you, you say, boy, I just I, I can't do it on my own. God says, don't be afraid. Don't worry about tomorrow. If God can make a dead man live, what can He not do? We always, we always talk about... Uh, uh, the angel's words to Mary is anything impossible for God is anything too hard for God just the other day I, I've been working through the Bible on CD because I have, I have time in my truck and I listen to it and I'm in the book of Numbers and I tell you Leviticus about got me run off the road a couple times because whew, Leviticus is tough to read it's tough to listen to as well and then we got to Numbers and we hear all these people and, and stuff. But then there's this verse that like made my ears perk up. The people are complaining because they want some meat. Oh, we only have bread from heaven. We only have manna. Ah, and they're complaining. You remember this story? And, and God says, I'm going to send some quail to you. And quail's good eating, right? You fry it up and it's good stuff. He says, I'm going to send you so much, it's going to be coming out your nose. And this is what he says. It's going to come out of your nostrils. You're going to eat so much of it because you were unhappy with what I gave you. And then he says, and Moses says, how can that happen? I mean, we've got, and this is this my paraphrase. We've got all these people. How can we have so much meat? They're going to eat it for a month until it's coming out their nose. And God says, is anything too hard for God? Is anything impossible for me? Now, it's all throughout the Bible. Nothing is too hard for God. There, he says, is there any limit to God's power? It's the way he says it. And we, we face things in life that are too big for us, and, and it's easy to, to be fearful, to be dismayed. And God says, is there any limit to my power? What can I not do? He said to Joshua, do not fear or be dismayed. He goes on to say in another place, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Take courage. But then what is the, the second response we should have What's the, what's the first thing these women are supposed to do? The angel says, I know you're here looking for Jesus. I don't know why you're looking for the living among the dead, but I see you're here. I know what you're doing. And they say, He's risen. And what do the angels say? Go. Don't keep it. Yeah, run. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell somebody. Tell His disciples. That's the same thing that Jesus says later on in, uh, in, in, our, in our text. He says in... In verse 10, do not be afraid. Go, take words, my brethren. Later on the Great Commission, what does Jesus say? Go into all the world. If you've experienced the resurrection of Christ for yourself, if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, you're on a commission. You are charged by Christ to go. Now, there are people that God specifically calls out and gifts and sins, I believe, as missionaries. 
But you know what he says in Acts 1.8? Be my witnesses. Witnesses tells what, what's happened, what's happened to them, what they've seen, heard, things like that. So well, I can't go to Africa. Fine. Can you go to Marionville? Can you go to Billings? Mount Vernon? Republic? Say, well, I can't go there, Aurora. We can, we can go out, right? And we can tell. We can be a witness. And the last thing, look at verse 9. Behold, they, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. When we reflect on the resurrection, we should worship the Lord. We should adore him. We should praise him. Lift him up. Why? Because he is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The seraphim in, in Isaiah 6 sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He deserves it. He died on the cross to secure our salvation. The Bible says He was raised for our justification. See, the resurrection isn't some peripheral issue. It is the linchpin of our faith. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're all still dead in our trespasses and sins. If, if Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise from the dead... His death on the cross was simply a tragedy. It was meaningless. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't know the Father accepted His sacrifice. We'd think that He died just like anybody else. Without the resurrection, you have no hope for the future, neither do I. The resurrection is the key. But I'm thankful to God that it's not something we just have to take on faith, but it's a fact. It's reasonable, it's historic, and it makes Him worthy of praise. It's good news to go out and tell. It's a reason to worship Him. It's a reason to have courage. But the Bible says that to those that are perishing, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. Maybe that describes you. You think that Jesus rising from the dead is pure foolishness. It's bunk. It's nonsense. I just want you to consider, I, I realize that I'm not a great orator. There's probably a good chance that even if I were to, to sit down and show you from the Bible, I wouldn't be able to convince you. I just want you to consider one thing. You say, well, I just can't buy this resurrection business. I just want you to answer this one question in your mind. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if the Bible is right and you're wrong? Then what? The Bible that tells us of the resurrection also tells us of the cross. I saw a quote this week I really liked by A.W. Tozer. It said, The cross is the lightning rod of grace that short-circuits God's wrath to Christ so that only the light of His love remains for believers. In other words, you and I deserve God's wrath because of our sin. We've offended a holy God, and the just penalty for that sin is death, eternal separation from God, and the torments of hell. That's what the Bible says. But the Bible also says, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And if you've never done that, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you stand condemned already. But as we put our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. And if you've never done that, I... I invite you, I plead with you to come to Him today. I want you to stand with me as musicians come.
And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. We all have a response to the resurrection. I just wonder what yours is. I can plead, I can encourage, I can exhort, I can, I can do my best to give a hope for a reason for the hope that lies within me. But in the end, you're responsible for making your own decision. I can't make it for you. I can't force you to. Something you have to freely choose.